0: I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself Spinning
1: in circles and talking to myself
0: Welcome to a new spin on autism Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents, and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism. Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. And today we have stories for you. Make sure you stick around to the very end, because that's when we pull it all together in Stories from the Road. And just before that, okay, 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 we got the great guest giveaway. All right, well, today, as every day, I know I always say it's a special day, but today's a very special day because I'm doing something I've been avoiding doing. I'm going to interview on the subject of vaccines. Um, Certainly you can't have a show specializing in autism without at some point deciding to brave the waters. And I've been looking for that opportunity and looking for somebody that I thought would be a great one to kick that subject off with. I came across an interesting article. I'm not going to tell you much about it. I'm going to discuss it with Helen Redizak, and she has a Ph.D. in molecular biology, And she has come across something very interesting by studying an awful lot of and comparing an awful lot of papers on, um, on autism. So we're looking at correlations, and I'm going to get right into asking her to sort of describe who she used to be, because that's interesting, and then how she came upon the idea of going ahead and looking at this subject matter, because it's tricky, and I'm sure she's had all kinds of stuff come her way ever since she got published on it. So hello, Helen. Thank you for being here.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: All right. Good. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. I have to tell you that um, what I'm reading about your discoveries is so interesting, and I don't want to do it a disservice by trying to represent it for you. That's why I'm not going to even go there. I'm going to let you do that. I do want to make sure that everyone knows that you used to work for um, the pharmaceutical industry. Is that correct?
1: I did. My last job was with Beringer-Engelheim Pharmaceutical Company.
0: How is it that you went from that job to looking at vaccines and looking
1: at so many aspects of it? Well, you see, I have a grandson who's been diagnosed with autism. And so for many years, I've been reading about it. And when I was at Beringer-Engelheim, I submitted two drug discovery programs to them. Neither was funded, but I did a lot of research for that. And then uh, I retired, and I decided I really wanted to do some research about autism, and the first thing to do would be to learn everything I could possibly do. So I read and I wrote review articles, and I wrote two of them, one about theoretical causes of autism, because uh, there are many, and then I wrote about biomarkers of autism. And I published those two papers in February of 2011, And you see, when I got my Ph.D., I studied a vaccine. It was for respiratory syncytial virus. And at that time, uh, there were two vaccines that had been produced from uh, RNA viruses. One is respiratory syncytial virus, which in adults causes a very mild cold, but in infants is lethal, particularly at two months of age, and measles virus. They are both RNA viruses, and so I had an animal model, and I gave the animal the virus, and then I removed either or both of the immune branches. In other words, I I took out the one kind of immune system that produces antibody, and I also took out the branch that is producing cell-mediated immunity, and both of them and saw how the animal responded to the virus, because I wanted to know the correlation between the immune system and the virus. And so I was very interested in vaccines at that point, and have remained so all the years of my research, which started in the 70s and continues to today. Okay, so wow, you're very informed and you're motivated
0: like most of the ones that really get involved with autism. Um, motivated by a personal story, which is uh, interesting, and I hope your grandson is doing well. I do want to talk a little bit about some of what you discovered on uh, the correlation study. So you were looking at the way, and and correct me if I'm wrong, please, but you were looking at the growth of autism and kind of the vaccine-relatedness as you know, when there was dips and dives in in the changes in the numbers of kids that had it. Um, and I know a lot of the arguing that I he- have heard in the past against the concept that vaccines are related to autism has had to do with a, a spurt in the growth curve at the time when the Marisol was removed from the MMR. So can you uh, talk a little bit about what, I know we don't have enough time to cover all of that you know, but um, a little bit of what you discovered as you looked at what correlates and what doesn't in in relation to vaccines and the changes in the vaccines um, and the growth and changes in the numbers
1: of kids with autism? Well, you know, there's a lot of studies done on epidemiology, and um, whenever, a new vaccine was introduced or a change was made in how the uh, vaccine components were grown, there would be an increase in the incidence of autism. And this is not just in this country but throughout the world. And so um, those correlations help us to determine that, yes, uh, it, it certainly was correlated with vaccines and how they were made. So I don't think there was much question about that. I don't know if you want specifics or not, but certainly they start from 1995 to 2007. These were the prevalence by age and birth. And, Mm -hmm. okay, they took out thimerosal uh, by 2002, but it remains in some vaccines, like influenza vaccine. And influenza vaccine is recommended for use in the pregnant mother, and this is very, very seriously wrong because this means that the thimerosal is a preservative, okay, so that the physician can use one vial of vaccine many times for many people. The preservative means that then you will not contaminate the the vial by going in many times. And so you are introducing mercury because thimerosal is 49% mercury, Mercury is a nerve poison. Mm -hmm. And so in the pregnant mother, she is being vaccinated with something that contains mercury. In addition, there is an adjuvant present. And an adjuvant is kind of a scientific term which is a a substance that is usually composed of several things like components of a mycobacterium and, and oil and an emulsifier called Arlacil A. These things are there so that the components of the vaccine will be released to the body very, very slowly so that that antigenic stimulus will be maintained over a very long period of time. So not only are you injecting this pregnant mother with mercury, but also aluminum because it's part of the adjuvant. And aluminum is also a nerve poison. And so the fetus is being bombarded by these toxic metals and the other components of the vaccine and when their brain is being developed and this is very serious and it's it's a it's it's not a good thing to do at all it's very very dangerous to do so okay and then you uh, also you in the
0: stuff that I've read you said something that I'd not heard before that has to do with the human tissue and the DNA and the correlation and the change of numbers um, when the Thermarasol was removed from the MMR, and then, yes, you know, it's still in the flu vaccine, but w- w- can you talk to us a little bit about this idea of the DNA, human tissue um, aspect of the vaccines and how that's related to our
1: health and our children's health? Well, you see, when, when you're making a vaccine, you have to grow the microorganism that you want to protect against. And so let's say you're growing herpes virus, okay? Well, let's not. No, I'm just kidding. But Go ahead. <laughs> herpes virus herpes virus causes uh, chickenpox, and so um, you, you would naturally have to grow it. And so if you grow that virus in human tissue, what happens when a virus divides? It, it cannot do it on its own. It has to be living inside another cell. And so it uses the cell's machinery for it to divide itself. And when it does that, it takes part of the cell membrane from the the host that it's growing in. So let's say you're growing it in a chicken egg embryo. Okay, so now you've got chicken there. Well, the chicken is very different genetically from the human that you're going to be injecting it with after the vaccine is made, correct? Correct. So there's no chance that that DNA, the genetic material from the chicken and uh, the tissue from the chicken in which the virus was grown will incorporate with the DNA from the human host that it's being injected into. But on the other hand, if you grow that virus, the herpes virus, in human tissue, then you've got somebody else's DNA there with the virus that's, that's, that's dividing, correct? Yeah. Now, yeah. the human body is such that it rejects something that is not self, and it rejects altered self. This is how your body protects itself from, say, cancer. If you've got a mutation and the cell is no longer normally dividing but becomes aneuploid, it no longer has just the two chromosomes but, but many, then the, the cell... Will, will grow out of control, right? But your body says, this DNA has been altered, and it kills that altered m- material, whatever it is, whether it's a virus, a bacterium, or, or just a mutated cell itself. The body will kill non-self. It's how it protects itself. Now, so, isn't,
0: there, isn't there a name for when uh,
1: a bit of the fetus is left in the mother's um are you talking about homologous recombination? Yes. Uh, that is the term used when you have the same species, and DNA from two species together. Let's say you're a human and, and, and you have a certain type of DNA, and the DNA in which the virus was grown, you know, the cell in which the virus was grown, has another kind of DNA, and most likely it is different because we are all unique human beings. Okay, so now you're both from the human. So the process is called homologous recombination. So that means that you will incorporate the DNA from the viral preparation in the vaccine into your own DNA. So now you've got altered DNA. And this is throughout your whole body, right? right. Your and DNA is, is, is throughout your whole body. And so now you will begin killing altered self and you could end up with an autoimmune phenomenon.
0: That's what I was like just going to say. Arthritis. That would automatically give you an autoimmune phenomenon it because would. it's trying, to, of course.
1: Okay.
0: So which we things, always hear about in autism.
1: Well, the, the autoimmunity is, is serious because uh, <clears throat> it's a lifelong condition and you have continuous inflammation which you cannot turn off. And so the patient's in, in a living hell of pain for the rest of his life. Yes, it's very serious. So it has not been proven that this is happening, but the possibility is definitely there, and it is not ethically correct in many scientists' estimation to grow viruses for vaccines in human tissue. Okay. All of
0: this doesn't seem very ethically correct, to be perfectly honest with you, to put um, aluminum, which we long ago discovered was creating Alzheimer's and, and you know, and mercury, which we long ago um, had a problem in the dental world, and they were shushed and made to keep quiet, and we had Mad Hatter's disease. And then human tissue, we already kn- know of this phenomenon and that it causes immune system problems and that there's inflammation and there's encephalitis and there's all these things. So What do you say when people say to you, okay, so you've read all these reviews and looked at all these correlations, but correlation
1: doesn't prove causation. How do we deal with that? Well, what you have to do is to balance the benefit against the risk of trouble. And that's what they do. They say, well, let's look at the data from other vaccines. Let's look at smallpox, for example. It's completely eliminated, There's no longer any any need to get vaccinated against smallpox because the disease is no longer prevalent in this world. Yes, it does exist in laboratories still. It could be used for germ warfare, yes, but they no longer vaccinate uh, against smallpox, and they claim the reason for that is because the vaccine eliminated it. I mean, that is a very strong claim, and it's, it's a very important one. So you have to balance all these risks against the benefits. But you have to realize, too, that the body is responding to a lot of things at the same time. Okay, you've got the adjuvant in there, so you've got the aluminum. You may have mercury as well. You may have the microorganism against which you're trying to provide the protection. But let's say we know that if you use three Uh, vaccines together, that they work well together. Measles, mumps, and rubella have been combined for many years, and that's fine. It's one vaccine. It does have the one adjuvant, but it has the three antigenic components. But at the same time, they may inject against as many as nine vaccines, nine injections at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens? Let's say you give measles, mumps, rubella first, and you're, you're making all of the antibodies and the cell mediated immunity directly against those three viruses. But they're living. And so, and that's a whole other story why they have to be living versus dead. But first, I'll, I'll tell you this that because they are, the body will make a substance called interferon. And interferon is a cytokine that does not allow other things to divide. So the way it prevents the virus from doing anything, is it, it won't let it divide. And so now you give the baby or, or the host another vaccine, and so the first vaccine's ability to cause the interferon to be made will invalidate the benefit of the next vaccine because that won't be able to, to perform in the way it should in order to uh, be an antigen and be recognized by the body because it won't be dividing, will it?
2: Oh, the interferon will prevent
1: it. So how you combine the virus and and the different vaccines and in the order in which they are given are crucially important, whether or not the host will become immune. Okay, okay. so that's one subject to, to consider. Another is the immune competence of the host. Nowadays, they give one vaccine on the day of birth, and then they keep them on at different months of age and many are given by age of month two. At month two, a human being is the most vulnerable in his whole lifetime immunologically, because at that point in time the antibodies that he received from his mother are on the wane. They're they're right. going down in concentration. And the the child's ability to make antibodies is not yet fully developed, and most of those children that are uh, exposed to respiratory syncytial virus will die, and it is the age at which the human is most susceptible. This virus will just cause a cold in an adult, but is lethal to the child, as I said when we first started this interview, and so you want to be very careful not to overburden a host at two months of age. And so many times the body's responding to these nine vaccines, okay, all at the same time, and the response is absolutely overwhelming. And it can interfere with the blood-brain barrier, and the components of the vaccine can enter the brain and cause encephalitis. And many times this is fatal.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so
1: when you look at all that
0: information and, uh, you know, you look at your grandson and, and, and you put it all together, do you think, or, and you don't have to answer this if, if you don't want to, but do you think vaccines cause autism or do you think they're just a part of the picture? Or what are you left with at the end of, ex, you know, all
1: your examining of the data? I think that vaccines can and do cause autism in some cases. It's been proven. The CDC says they do, as does Dr. Gaberding, who's the um, president of the vaccine part of Merck Pharmaceuticals. Um, And the Sarah Pauling case was one of the first ones that was uh, decided that, in fact, the vaccines did cause the autism, and it it has been used to win uh, different lawsuit cases against vaccine companies. I think that there are many causes that could theoretically be involved with the development of autism. We all have the same set of genes. Uh, Even in twin cases, identical twins, 10% of the time, one of the twins will have autism and the other will not. Yes, 90% of the time, both twins react the same way. But 10% of the time, they don't. And that's because there's the environment that is a, a part of this picture. If you live downstream from a, a generator of electricity that's, that's based on coal production, and many of us do, mm-hmm. uh, and you're downstream of that, there's mercury in that coal. So when it produces the electricity, the mercury is spewed into the air and uh, the people downstream are, are breathing it. And there's there's a lot of different things in the environment that are very detrimental to the immune system and could contribute to causing autism.
0: Okay, so then let's say you have twins. They're inside the mom and she's breathing some of this. Why would 10% of those twins not be both equally affected? How is it that the, just help people to understand how the environment in the womb can be somewhat different, one twin to another?
1: Well, first of all, um, it depends if the twins have the same amniotic, Sack or not, and different things. I mean, you know, identical twins come from one sperm and one egg. This is true, but they don't necessarily share as many things as you might think. I am not an expert in this area, but I do know that um, the environment does play a big role, and I'm trying to decipher what it is that protects one child and not the next from what is there. I think you have to look at the different parts of the body, and this is what I'm, I'm interested in, the biomarkers, because I'm thinking that if the one individual might have a mitochondrial dysfunction, for example, and that would make that individual more susceptible to the vaccine and maybe be involved in having the development of autism later. So you'd say, well, that mitochondrial defect might have been genetic, yes, But it could also have been caused by the environment,
0: right? And this is the enormous mystery that, unfortunately, we all live in. Um, We're really close to the end of our time. We really could listen to you talk forever. You're so informed. I I would like to close on give you an opportunity to, if if you want people to contact you in any way or look anything up, you know, for you to sort of share that with people, and then also, um, you know, can you? Can you address something for me? <laughs> and if you don't like it, we'll take it out. No. <laughs> um, what I'd like to know is when you wrote this, and it's, it's a pretty interesting amount of information here. I've been reading and reading and reading, and I kind of am um, lost in how much you had to investigate in order to come up with your answers. And when you finished and you published it, were you attacked because you, you know, by your colleagues or by, you know, FDA or anything like that? Because it's always in the conspiracy theory world, everyone says that you aren't allowed to speak the truth. So I'd like to know if you've had
1: any of those kinds of problems. And if you choose not to answer, that's fine. Well, to be honest with you, my first interview was right after publication. Um It was was a verbal thing over the telephone, and it was also published uh, on the Internet. And yes, there were some people that contradicted what I said, and uh, had some derogatory things to to print. But do you know, I didn't even read all of those comments because I thought it wouldn't serve me any purpose. I know what I believe to be true is well-documented, And I know that these are theories, and I said as much in my paper. But the point was that they were well-researched, and everything had been taken from peer-reviewed journals. I did not uh, pose anything that was not yet already published. And so, yes, to be honest with you, some people did have a lot of um, very pointed and derogatory things to say, but between you and me, I am ignoring them. Well, I'm good for ahead. you. <laughs> good, I'm going I'm ahead with my research. I, I trust you. my judgment. I've been doing research for many, many, many years. I'm well-versed in it, and I'm I'm uh, working hard on this whole, whole topic. And I would say that uh, basic advice is try not to give vaccines before the child reaches two years of age because they'll be better immunologically competent to handle the vaccines. And number two, only give one vaccine at a time and number 3 have only uh, a, a single vial used in other words use a, a vial that does not contain any preservatives and in this way you will promote the immune response to develop as it should and you will not be giving undue risk to the host okay and, and how as, would far they as avoid being contacted the with the DNA Yes well the DNA business that's a whole other thing there are pharmaceutical companies that do make all these vaccines in tissues other than human and you can avoid that whole problem by the choice of the vaccine okay, and you so want to be you get... and your
0: doctor to investigate and make sure that you are making an informed decision right
1: that's right that's right yes okay and if people want to contact me the best way is by email and I will try and answer as best I can I'm able to send them copies of the two reviews if they want it, and um, I'm I'm heavy into research now. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm I'm always answer my email, you know, within a couple of days. Well, that's wonderful. I have
0: your email, so I'll put a link uh, okay. for them, and we won't we won't say it so you don't get inundated. They have to work for it.
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> they go
0: look. How's that? If they want to know, they'll find it. Okay. All right. I I really appreciate that you came on. Hopefully you'll do it another time again. um, You're so informed and well-spoken, and it's been a total delight. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your being on. Uh, This was Dr. Helen Radizak, Ph.D. in molecular biology, talking to us about vaccines and some of the things to care about and look for with your doctor. You know, just go through it and be informed. Okay, 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 it is time for the great guest giveaway, although I think I forgot to tell the guest that we're going to ask him to give something away, so cross your fingers that there'll be something cool, and that he'll go along with that, otherwise I'll have to edit this part out. Okay, we are very, very blessed today, we're on a science-driven kind of uh, information show, and David Humphrey is the president and CEO of Kirkman Labs, and Kirkman is a a company that many, many, many of my families that I work with internationally love. So I, can you hear the excitement in my voice? I am stoked to be able to talk to somebody who will represent this company and kind of tell us a little bit about the company, but also themselves. So David, hello. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Well, hi, hi, Lynette. It's just really great to be here and, Right before you know I came, I read your uh bio and it's really it's really a remarkable uh journey and I feel like I should be interviewing uh you but but anyway, <laughs> i'm pleased to be here thanks
0: well you're welcome and, and I tell you what if you ever have a call to interview me Well, tit for tat. You you can have a shot at it. There's no problem at all. I'll say yes. Um, So David, let's let's start a little bit about, can you tell for the people who don't know your company, give us a little blurb, a little, this is who we are, this is what we do.
2: Uh, Kirkman uh, started about 60 years ago, uh, and we uh, pioneered the development of topical fluoride applications in the pharma industry. Uh, and that went on for quite a few years. And my father actually uh, had the company before I did. But the, the company's uh, path was changed uh, some 25 years ago when my dad met with uh, Dr. Bernard Rimland of the Autism Research Institute. And he had a formulation that he had developed for B6 and magnesium and additional ingredients that was the result of work he had done on 23 studies in Europe on the effects these had on children with autism. So he came uh, to our company, and as he tells the story, he was rejected by 25 companies, and we were the company that said, yes, we'll make it. And uh, that started a journey with my father uh, that lasted for 25 years until my dad's death a couple of years ago. And it was a remarkable journey of two men that had a common vision. And uh, my dad handled almost every single call that came in to the office after Bernie would give these speeches around the country. And my dad would then relay the calls to me. I was an attorney in Hawaii, and I was always struck by this hard-edged business guy uh, being completely changed by the experience of talking to so many parents. And at that time, autism was one in maybe 10,000. So a good crowd that Bernie would uh, gin up would be maybe 12 or 15 parents, and my dad would ship out maybe one bottle a, a day. Uh, but each one was an individualized story, and each one was a story of hope, and they would call back and talk about the differences they saw, and that was really the start of Kirkman. And uh, I came to the company uh, uh, 12 years ago. and My dad was not in good health, and it also changed me. And I think uh, I'm very proud of uh, what we've done at Kirkman, and particularly proud of the heritage that we have going back to those days.
0: Wow. It changed you in what way, David?
2: Well, I had never been involved with something that was of service. Uh, and when my dad recruited me, he said, son, you've always made a buck, but have you ever made a difference? And that's a cruel thing to say to a practicing attorney because you're speechless. <laughs> and son, <laughs> so, a practicing ter-
0: attorney and son, definitely cruel. Shame on daddy. <laughs> yeah, very cruel.
2: So he said, my, my health is not good. Could you come here and help me? And I thought I'd come for a year and help him sell the company. And he said, I don't want to sell this company, uh, son. I want you to work in it. So I thought, well, what? I, I could come and be a big shot and have all kinds of cool marketing ideas redo some contracts and he said i want you to be on the telephone for the first three months answering phone calls with parents and that's what i did
0: i love your dad
2: and uh yeah yeah he was much smarter than i am by the way much smarter <laughs> and wh- what happened was i was really transformed by the stories i heard and then i would go down and and uh, 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 i struck up a, a relationship and the relationship was clearly one of a mentor with dr rimland and I sort of volunteered to be his personal attorney, so I got a chance to speak with him often. And we developed a very close association. We talked every couple of three days for uh, until his, his death. And uh, the combination of talking to parents plus talking to Dr. Rimlin gave me a very unique insight into this community.
0: Okay, so you're this is very interesting to me. You're an attorney, and you've been kind of along for the ride even though you were off to the side a little bit while your dad was running it, you were still seeing the uh, legal end of things. So I have some questions here because this is a field ripe with lawsuits and anger and, and, and right. desperation and, and hope and like everything's intense here. And let's talk about B6, for example. B6 came along as a, as a big deal. And, and this, is, this has happened in many things, whether it's, you know, methylated B12 or, you know, everything seems to have a period when it rises up and says this is going to be the big deal for autism. So let's go with B6 because that's what you mentioned. And there was a period where parents went, oh, B6 is the thing. And they all started giving so much B6 to the kids that some of them started to get proprioceptive blindness as a result of excessive B6, whether you, I don't know if you know this. My my point is when you're sitting there as the attorney and you know that that's not what your company is representing to do, you know that, you know, we're just saying this, (laughs) Hey, we're just saying this, has this in the study. Don't, don't run and grab it like the perfect panacea. And yet, people get like a runaway train with their emotions and their approach. Does it come back to your company, and how do you cope with that?
2: Well, I I bought the company from my dad 12 years ago, so uh, I've been making these decisions for Kirkman during that time. And we made the decision early on that we would keep the dosage as supplements uh, within uh, safe uh, recommendations uh, Mm -hmm. and that we would not – make any representations that it was treating or curing a disease or condition. We just would explain what the form and function is. It's a little like selling shovels to people that are going and mining for gold. I mean, and it's really up to the doctors and the scientists. What we've tried to do is when we see things that are helpful, and really what we're talking about, and because our our client base goes well beyond autism, what we really see is We really specialize in helping individuals that have food sensitivities, uh, difficulties with gastrointestinal symptoms, and they need supplementation because they don't digest enough calcium or vitamin D or B6. And it really, to us, one of the uh, major changes was the understanding that about half of the children uh, that are diagnosed with autism have gastrointestinal problems. And so what I decided to do, since this was not an appropriate thing to do within Kirkman, is I started forming and joining nine nonprofit organizations to get to the underlying medical conditions. So the first organization I formed was the Autism Treatment Network. Which oh, my was gosh, a, your
0: dad uh, really did change you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, interrupt, no, but listen no, to no, your yeah. life. Okay, go on. <laughs>
2: So, the Autism Treatment Network uh, was based on the research of Dr. Uh, Tim Bowie, uh, who is a pediatric gastroenterologist. And I ran across him and he came to Portland uh, to help get a s- uh, study sponsored. And I said, Tim, uh, you've gone ahead and diagnosed 600 kids with autism. You've got gut samples. This is the biggest news we've ever seen. Uh, and we decided to form a university organization. And we went out and had six major universities. And Dr. Rimlin gave the first $100,000 to the Autism Treatment Network to get it started because he believed it was necessary to start getting uh, the science behind what is the underlying disease condition that is comorbid or uh, coincidental or part of the body disease. We didn't know. And so those six universities uh, joined together. We raised $6 million uh, for uh, this kind of medical research, and the government followed it with $70 million. And I'm very proud to say that it's taken a while, but the person we had heading the Autism Treatment Network, Dr. James Perrin of uh, Mass General, is the brand-new president of the American Academy of Pediatrics and they just put out a new supplement this week of the underlying medical conditions of autism, including sleep disorders, metabolic, and gastro. And uh, it has uh, resulted in insurance coverage now in 30 states. So.
0: Oh, my gosh, uh, that's think, awesome.
2: Yeah, that's actually, I really uh, should share with your listeners uh, uh, looking it up on pediatrics because it establishes uh, gastro disease, metabolic conditions, sleep disorders, all the things the parents have been trying to bang into their pediatricians, uh, we now have it as a supplement with the official president of the American Academy of Pediatricians. And he also says that the complementary Treatments such as probiotics are part of the treatment, and, and he understands why parents use them and, and believes that there's a lot that's, of merit to these things. That's So fantastic. We, have, we, have basically, we have basically won the battle but not the war, uh, but the direction is clearly that the parents have been right all the time. So for your, as far as your listeners are concerned, they already know what I'm saying. Uh, they live with medical conditions with the children, at least half of them do. And those medical conditions interfere with all kinds of things, and they need treatment. And we hope that this recent supplement with the AAP that went out to 60,000 pediatricians will put to bed once and for all that we have serious medical conditions that are not being treated by the the nation's doctors.
0: Now define for me supplement, because supplement um, means a vitamin or a concoction, but it also has another meaning. So how are you using it?
2: Well, you know, I'm wearing my nonprofit hat now. I think that the fundamental position should be everything ingested should be considered a medicine, whether it's food or supplements that are synthetic or natural vitamins. So the first job would be for a family to say, you know, how can we go ahead and change the diet to complement the underlying medical problems. And unfortunately, in this community, we've relied so much on supplements that we've not really taken a look at the underlying food that children have. And one of the things that we really think is that the movement of having certified nutritionists are a critical part of what we're doing. Uh, And the special diets are fantastic, but often they're not balanced. So if you take out casein, for example, you right, may strip right. the child out of calcium. And, exactly, and, and well, then you've got,
0: you, yeah, 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 and it goes and yeah. it
2: goes. And if you go down to the grocery store and buy big calcium citrate pills, you may find the gastrointestinal tract doesn't have enough acid to properly break them down, and, and we're finding that these children have just abysmally low levels of calcium and vitamin D and other things that are necessary for them.
0: Okay, so I, <laughs> I hate that I'm almost out of time. Maybe I can get you back another day. Um, okay, so here, let, let's let's tie this up for them so we don't just leave them feeling like, oh, my gosh, there's so much to do again. Another show telling me there's so much to do. So you've, you've won a battle. You've got this, uh, when you say supplement, that's why I wanted you to define it. Have you got a supplement that you see as a very balanced supplement you're selling, or are you talking about a supplement in a legal sense, of how we're getting the insurance companies to listen.
2: Oh, no, no. I'm talking about uh, supplements to food, and these are a whole range of things. Kirkman now went from making one supplement with Dr. Rimmel to now we have a family of two or 300. Uh, Let me end with the biggest story that we have, and I think the biggest story in the supplement industry that, that your listeners probably don't know and I've been hammering at. We discovered about two years ago that because the supplement industry has shifted from manufacturing in the United States primarily to China, that the raw materials coming from manufacturing of supplements are contaminated with unbelievably high levels of uranium, arsenic, mercury, and lead at close to a 100 times in many cases safe levels by Prop 65 in California. Kirkman went ahead and put in a couple of million dollars worth of mass spec equipment and testing and costs to ensure that we test for 950 pesticides, metals, and contaminants and bacteria. Uh, And we produce products that are absolutely the purest and the best in the world. Uh, Dr. Kingston from Duquesne, who is one of the leading experts in the country, analyzed nutritional supplements, and his report will be published and is absolutely The biggest story, if people think there are contaminants in vaccines, the contaminants found in food and supplements are poisoning a generation of children. I used to work for Ralph Mader as an environmental attorney. We never understood that the danger is not in toxicity in the environment. It's the toxicity inside of children and parents and mothers-to-be. And this is a developing story. It's on Kirkman's website. Uh, and we are the lone wolf in this. And I've talked to many other supplement companies about the dangerous chemicals coming from China. The same thing of the dangerous chemicals in the dog foods and the toothpaste and the toys, and no one is listening to me. It's almost like it's too big to to worry about. And and we know in this community. I'm
0: listening, I'm listening and my my people are gonna listen because when they say, What do you think is causing this rise in autism, I'm like, Are you
2: serious? Just are you okay? My new, it's pro- like- my new project uh, for the Autism Forum is we are starting a brand new program I'm really excited about. It's called P2I, which is Pregnancy to Infancy. It's based on a protocol by Dr. Berger in Florida. Dr. Berger has had 500 live births in a row with no developmental disease, no miscarriages or preterm babies, oh. healthy, vibrant babies. And this is a result of removing toxicity from women preconception through pregnancy, removing toxicities from infants after birth, adequate vitamin D levels. I tell you, this is a huge story, Lynette. And we just had a think tank where we put in some of the brightest people on the planet in Portland, including Martha Herbert, and we all concluded the same thing. This is a protocol that can completely change. So what I'm saying is that what is going on with births in this country, 25% miscarriage, 12% preterm, and 40% chronic disease can be significantly prevented. And it's really coming from the understanding that we've developed in the autism community. And I'm really proud of people like Taka and others that participate in this landmark think tank. And You'll be hearing a lot more about it.
0: That's exciting. Oh, that's a great thing to end on. And do you have have the ability to give away a product to one of my lucky yes. people. What can you sure. give no, away? We
2: have a, a, the, the best product that I have and I recommend is the Enzyme Complete with uh, DPP-4, and uh, I suggest it's our top-selling product, and I would love people to have a bottle of it, so that will be the giveaway.
0: Oh, that's awesome. How many are you willing to give away? I'm going to claim one, by the way, because I'd like to try it on my son. So, um, okay. but how many are you willing to give away? Two, three, four, five.
2: I'm oh, let's, let's go. Let's go ahead and take the first 20 people coming in. Uh, one of the reasons my dad had to stop me on the phone is I kept giving away all my products. <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
0: anyway. yeah, all right. So times. what I'll do is I'll I'll email you or Angela and let them know. Now, how? What would you like to leave as a website or a, a some place that you really want people to go?
2: Uh, Well, I'd like to have them go to this P2I website, but we haven't got it up yet. So the the Kirkman site to find out about toxicity and Kirkman's program is a great place, and that's www.kirkmanlabs.com or kirkmangroup.com. And if they can't remember that, they just put Kirkman on Google and it comes up right away. will come so, up, yeah.
0: You're pretty Look, you're look pretty I know crazy. I haven't talked
2: much about Kirkman, but the biggest thing Kirkman is doing is we're addressing this toxicity issue in supplements, and we're leading the way with a brand-new initiative with P2I, and I'm really proud of what we're doing. But I want to make it clear, this is my nonprofit hat, so I'm not pitching Kirkman. Oh, I want to mention the last thing is we've just, from this technology, developed also the ability – to do unbelievable work with dry blood and dry urine and providing mass-spec accuracy to vitamin D testing. We're going to do metal testing, and it will be available for consumers to do from their homes. And it's really an exciting development. We'll talk more about that later.
0: Oh, awesome. All right, and I will um, pass any requests from the first 20 people off to Angela, your assistant. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow, David, thank you so much for being here. I, you've been fantastic. So, I've had a great well, time.
2: Lynette, we're going to have to get to know each other better. I'm really interested in your background, what you've done as well. So, thank you so much for having me on.
0: All right, and thank you for being here. Bye bye. Well, so that was David Humphrey. My show always goes too long. I'm sure it's going to go too long. Anyways, if you want to get some of those enzymes, 20, he's giving away 20. And people, people, you don't ever. I've hardly ever given away anything because you think it's a podcast and you can't. No, please, please, even if it's been a while, know that hardly anyone claims our stuff and this is a really good product. So please send me an email. And if you want to email me, the way to do it is my personal email. It's mom, because I'm a mom forever and ever. I created an email that's mom, the number four, evermore. So it reads mom forevermore. At Juno, not Gmail, Juno, J-U-N-O dot com. And it's a very old email. It's been my personal email forever. People say to me, Why do you still use Juno? Because then everyone can find me. So here I am at mom forevermore at Juno dot com. He's giving away the enzyme complete, 20 bottles we can give to 20 people. Well, 19. I want a bottle. All right, it is time for stories. And to make this one short and sweet because I think that we are way over time. But this is an important story. So just recently I met two crazy, wild, very autistic gentlemen. They, uh, you know, they're in puberty and their parents are like, oh, what are we going to do? They've got padlocks on all the doors and the kids are banging on everything. And the one child's ripping everything and the other one's breaking down everything and, and hitting. And it's just an insane insane and crazy place, and I sort of parachute into the mess, and um, they were lovely, they, you know, they were lovely, and when I first got there, I arrived in this home, and they really are, they're older parents, they had their children when they, you know, were older, and so they're looking at this mess and going, how do we do it? I want to, the reason I'm I'm telling you this story is you know they're not even uh, fully potty trained. Well, the one boy was, the other wasn't. In fact, he's still in uh, pull-ups. So they're big, thirteen, fourteen age, about. And um, I know that this happens to other people. So I'm going to mention that very often when you see bedraggled parents coping with kids like this if you're not also coping with it, and maybe even if you are, you might have a thought like, wow, those parents don't know what they're doing. Or, well, if they could just control those kids. Or, you know, whatever. The way I did it worked. Or why aren't they dealing with the diet because there was a little bit of Mountain Dew going around and stuff like that. The reason I bring it up is because It's easy to do that. It's easy to see these parents completely worn out, the house completely worn out, everything worn out, and wonder two things. Can they even love these children? Shouldn't they just put them away? I'm sorry I said it. That's what people think. Uh, Maybe not us, but some people think it. Um, And the other one is it's probably the parents' fault, even if you know better. So along comes their daughter. She gets out of school, and she comes. There's another child the most amazing child I've ever met. She's, like, brilliant and kind and well-spoken and, and, and loving, and she's done art for a book, and she's, you know, I mean, the things that she's done, the list of her accomplishments is enormous. She's high-functioning as a human being in the extreme. She's academically brilliant. So she's gifted. Is that the parents' fault? Is it? Is that my question today? Or is it their fault that they are toxic? Or is it their fault that, you know, so we're looking for a place to blame. Instead, let's look for a cure, a solution. In this episode, I thought that it was interesting to talk about this family because when I walked into this home, what the mom did was hate autism and know that her children were vaccine damaged, and that's what she called it. She called it vaccine-damaged. I know that's what caused it. I hate autism. I love my children, but I hate autism. I've written articles and blogs about this. You cannot hate autism and love your child. I'm going to say that again. You cannot hate autism and love your child. You can feel for your child's challenge. You can... Be frustrated with the difficulty. You can hate that it happened. But this is now your child with autism. So you have to embrace the whole thing in order to cure it. So please know that in three days, by changing that one thing and adding some neurofeedback and a few shifts to the diet, these kids were not hitting. It is that Simple, just gain clarity, grab onto something, and begin. But do not hate the autism because your child knows they have autism and feels hated. So today's question and answer was kind of brought up by David. He said the analogy of the shovel, which I loved very much. When I asked him about dealing with the meds, or the, the maybe lawsuits or people using incorrectly what they're creating. And he said, um, it's like selling shovels, you know, some people are digging for gold. Well, let's use, let's spread that analogy out a little bit and say that you can have a shovel and you can dig a grave, or you can dig someone out of a grave, same shovel. That applies not only to supplements and diet, and it applies to how you feel. It applies to vaccines. It it applies to everything you do. Look at your tool and decide. Will I dig a grave with this tool, or will I dig my child out? I love each and every one of you. This is a big world with lots of questions, but I promise we will find the answers one answer at a time. My name is Lynette Louise. I'm your story teacher host, and this is talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't
1: hear you.